All right, so last week we was talking about uh, an article I read about the decline of church, the decline of people attending church, the decline of people that has any kind of interest in religion whatsoever. And uh, we talked about there were several different things that was led to this decline. And uh, one of the things that um, was focused on is actually us. And I mean us, I mean believers. I mean Christians. I mean churchgoers. Whatever kind of title that you want to put on that. And I said last week that we would go ahead and we would explore that a little further today. And uh, I feel that's important because we are the example. We are the benchmark. We are the light. We are God's representatives here on earth. And if we are doing things, but not doing things properly, not only are we setting the wrong kind of example, but we are not being able to fulfill what we are here to fulfill. Now, God's given us many different examples and instruction about how we are to connect what we are to do, how to be able to access the kingdom of heaven, to be able to use that power. Now, Jesus, he died. He died for us. He died for our sins. He died for our redemption. He died so we could be healed. He died so we can have that connection, that direct connection restored back with God. He died so we can have our place in heaven. He died so we can have access to that power. You know that whenever... He left earth. He ascended back into heaven. He did not leave us alone. He left us with the Holy Spirit. And that is a a great gift. Jesus did all of these things for us in this one-time sacrifice. And you know, for him, it wasn't any small feat I think back to the time before his crucifixion when he's praying to God, if there be any other way. Any other way. And he's, as he's praying, he is sweating literal blood. That it is so intense that he's sweating blood. And then, of course, he knew exactly everything that he was going to go through. And to describe the events that happened before and during the crucifixion, there's only one word that could come close to describing that, and that was was torture. He was beaten. He was abused, both physically, emotionally, verbally, 
He was mocked. He was made fun of. Not only him, but everything that he represented. And the physical torment was unimaginable. Crucifixion is one of the worst ways that you can go. And he endured all of that for us. So we can have a a different kind of life. Different than it was before and moving forward. It was a grand gift that none of us can come close to ever being able to replicate. And we have to ask, because that's the best way that we can study when we come here, is to ask questions. What is Jesus thinking about how we are using the gift that he gave us? When we look at our churches, would he be proud at what we're doing? The word says where two or three gathered, he is in the midst. So we know that he is here right now. In churches all across the world, he is in the midst. Right now. And we have to wonder what does he he think about that? Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he make that sacrifice for us? Well, we know for God so loved the world. But if we start to break it down more and more. It's to be able to do these things, to have this connection. And we look at when he faced the Pharisees and everything that they stood for, he stood against. Everything that they tried to throw at them, he used Scripture the Word of God, and he was able to put the truth upon it. You know, it's sad because if we really take a good, hard look at the modern Christian society, the modern church, we don't see something new. We don't see something that was born again. We don't see something that's in the reflection of Jesus. We see the way that they've always done it. See, the Pharisees, they rejected the sinners. They asked Jesus, why do you eat with sinners and and politicians? And Jesus told them that they're the ones that need me. 
But yet, we follow the Pharisees' example, and if someone doesn't look like us, act like us, talk like us, and believe like us, they are not welcome. People get the idea that they have to be at a certain level before they can become part of a church. When in reality, you need to come in your most rawest, vulnerable form, and then God lifts you up. You hear the Word, the Word changes you, you build faith, and you start to make those connections. become about profits and our individual pleasure. That we can be part of a a group that makes us feel good. That we can listen to a message that makes us feel good. That we can pretend that we are doing good works to make us feel good. And the part about enriching our relationship with God, the part about changing lives, saving souls, being that beacon of light, that connection, that example, God's ambassadors, those things go out the window. Because those are our thankless acts. Those are the things that Only God sees. Person was debating about can you lose your salvation? Based upon how they they act. And no, the word says that no one can pluck you from God's hands. Jesus made a one-time sacrifice. So to be lost from anything in that would be to crucify him again. So no, he cannot. But I do question the authenticity of such salvation because we should have a desire to want to do good. To want to do good works, not for our own self-gratification, but for God's gratification, for His approval, for His glory. We're going to be in John today, chapter 14, and I'm going to uh, read through the whole thing, or most of it, and... Then we're going to uh, look at a few key things. I just want you to reflect on a little bit. John 14 and 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that I am, 
There I may also, and whither I go, I know the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether you goest and how we know the way. And Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If thy know me, they have known my Father also. For hence know him, and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it shall suffice us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and hast not known me, Philip, that he said unto the Father, and thou sayest, Then you show us the Father. Believest not that I am the Father, and the Father in me, the words I speak, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth me. He does the works. Believe me, I am the Father. I am the Father in me. I believe me for the works sakes. Verily I say unto you, He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than thee shall he do, because I go unto thy Father. And whatever thy ask in my name... That I will do, that the Father may be glorified in thy Son. And if thou shalt ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, we keep seeing the example that we had the, the chosen ones, the ones that were with Jesus, that they witnessed the miracles, but yet they still struggled with faith. They still wanted to see more. They wanted more proof, more evidence. Because we as humans, that's what we like. We like to have non-admissible facts. We want to be able to see it. We want to be able to touch it. We want to be able to have something tangible to believe in. That's why we are so easily deceived and so easily fooled. Because if someone can create an illusion, if someone can mold a story to where it sounds plausible, and we just sprinkle just a little bit of what we conceive as evidence to it, then we will accept it. But that's not what faith is. Faith is believing in something that you can't see. And I ask you, because I just read all kinds of things here, that Jesus is telling his disciples, and remember when he's talking to his disciples, he is talking to us as well. If it does it for one, he does it for all. So all of this stuff is valid for us as well. Do you believe everything that Jesus says beyond salvation? You know, the salvation part, that's, that's, that's the pretty easy part because we don't have to do a whole lot with that. 
Right, yep, I believe Jesus. I believe, yep, come into my heart, repent for my sins. Okay, I have salvation. I have got my fire insurance. I have secured my spot in heaven. So all we got to do is wait for the end, right? And a lot of us can, can do that. But at our human nature, we want to pick and choose what the Word says. And we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that we can do things that Jesus did? Do we believe that we can do things greater than what he did? Because we were to, to look around the world, you know, we would think that as much as the, the population has grown, we would think as many churches as they are up and down the roads, that many copies of the Bible that's out there, missionaries has been all over the place. We would think that we would see more miracles. Why is it that we are not doing things as Jesus did and greater? Fourteen. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We'll start with that one. Because that's an easy one right there. Because I've listened to a lot of people pray. And you hear things like, Lord, if it be thy will. They give God an out. They pray, they ask, but then we allow ourselves to think about all the reasons why this might not pan out. We listen to the opposition, and we believe that, because that sounds a lot more plausible. Well, you're never going to be successful. You don't have enough talent you have an untreatable condition. And those are the things that sink in. And those are the things that we believe. We set ourselves up to fail before we ever get started. Lord, I'd really like to have this if it be your will. We should know what God's will is. God wants us to have the desires of our heart. Jesus, right here, it's in red. He says, ask in my name, not sometimes, not maybe, 
not for some. It says, ask in my name. Anything. Ask anything in my name. And I will do it. So, if we are doing that, and it's not happening, it comes down to just a few things. Number one, are we actually believing that Jesus can do it? Because when we're thinking about, well, it might not happen, we are killing our faith. And it doesn't work without faith. When we don't know what God's will is, God, please let me win the lottery. I bet you there was a bunch of people these last couple weeks that was doing all kinds of praying when they bought that Mega Millions ticket for the billion dollar prize and they were praying to God probably for the first time or first time in a long time because this could be so life changing for us and they're praying about it God I need to win I need these numbers what are these numbers but here's the thing number one the lottery is in the realm of man It is based upon a man-created system. It is in the earth-cursed system. God does not have dominion over that. We've talked about that in detail in the past, but God does not have dominion over that. Remember, we turned the world over to Satan. Man did. So whatever God does, he has to be allowed. He has to come through man that has the authority to be able to do these things. God doesn't simply drop a million dollars in your lap. It doesn't show up in the mailbox, but he will give you a million dollar idea. He will give you provision. He will provide a way. Just because it's not the way that we want it doesn't mean that God's not paying attention. Number two, God knows how anything is going to affect us. So if we're going to stay on this same example we'll say okay now let's just say that God did have the authority God was going to do that he's going to give you all the magic numbers and you're going to have it but he also knows what a burden that would be now I'm sure a lot of you are hearing this and saying I'm fine I will accept that burden no problem just give it to me but in reality It's just taking one set of problems and turning it into another set of problems. 
Because you'll be dealing with situations and people that you never thought existed. Statistically, many people, a good portion, that are instantly thrown into wealth like that, wind up broke. Most of the time in worse shape than they were when they started in just a few years. Because they don't know how to properly handle it. And from all the outside influence. You know, us parents, every once in a while, we get tired of the constant nagging. I want, 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 I want. So sometimes we get into a moment of, of despair. We go ahead and we give them that cookie or whatever the situation is just so we can have a little bit of peace. And those situations turn out like that where, okay, here, just take this and go. Just take this and go. Just take this and go. And pretty soon when you turn around, the pot is empty. But God knows these things. Furthermore, God knows our heart. He knows what we are going to do. He knows how things are going to affect us. You know, you may have dreamed of having a shiny new boat that you can take out on the lake or the river. And God has no problem with you having such a thing. God will even provide a way for you to get such a thing on one condition. If you use it in the proper manner. Because if you're going to take it out every Sunday, if it's going to take away from your relationship with Him, that's a no-go. And we have the best intentions. You know, we say, yeah, we go back to the money example. I'm going to do all of these Grand things. How many times in your life have you ever had plants? You know, it starts out that we, we start out as kids and we make plans for our future, our life, how things are going to turn out. How often does it turn out the way that you envision it to be? Things happen. And even on a more personal level, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to diet. I'm going to exercise. But you find yourself three weeks in, hiding in a closet, munching on a cookie because you, you gave in. You tell yourself that I can skip working out this day. One time ain't going to hurt it. Well, we know from experience, we know from the past that one time turns into two, two times turn into three, and each time you do it, it becomes easier and easier. You ever notice that, how easy it is to slip into a, a bad habit? First time, feel a little guilt, 
Second time, a little less, and pretty soon, nothing at all. So as, as believers, as Christians, as churchgoers, we should not only be, be praying for ourselves, but praying for others, praying for our church. Are we doing these things? Start up right there. Are we doing these things? How many times in life do we not have something because we haven't taken it to God? Because we have this thing that we tend to want to fix everything ourselves. The Israelites said, hey, Give us some rules. We'll follow them. We don't need you hovering over us. We can do it. We still have that attitude. We can do it. We can do it. We can be self-made. We can do it on our own. We don't need anybody. God wants us to seek him in every aspect of life. He wants us to be in constant communication. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He wants to be there every step of the way. Are we allowing him to do that? See, we get caught up in the day-to-day and we see that we're not getting anywhere. And pretty soon, we start to Accept that. Because that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to believe that you're not going to get better. Things are not going to improve. That there is no hope. There is no future. And we do. We start to accept that. Well, this is just the way it is. This is just my life. And so many people live and die by the excuse. Well, this was the situation I was born in. This is my financial situation. This is my health situation. Nothing can be done about it. Nothing's going to change. This is my cross to bear. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to live until I die. And that's just the way it is. Some people have all the luck. Some people have all the fame and the fortune. I'm just not one of those people. I was meant to be destitute and alone. I was meant to be sick and worthless. And we develop that attitude. When in reality, God is limitless. Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. He was dead. It doesn't get any more hopeless than dead. And when we compare that to whatever we're going through, it doesn't seem so bad because we still have air in our lungs. We have blood flowing through our hearts. We're able to wake up in the morning. We're able to go. God can work with that. 
If he can work with a dead person, he can work with us. Nothing is impossible to him. But we limit him. Why are we not doing things like he did? Why are we not healing the sick? Why are we not raising the dead? And it says, these things and greater works. Well, we think about all the things that Jesus did. He turned water into wine. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. And we can do greater than that. Really, what is our potential? Whatsoever ye ask in my name, I will do, that Father may be glorified in the Son. That might be another clue right there. That might be another clue. We are given this power with a purpose. Everything God does has a purpose. And we are to be able to do things in the name of Jesus so we can glorify God the Father. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? If we are not doing it for the right reasons, it's not going to work. So many times, God's miracles. People say, why don't we see miracles anymore? Was that just a Jesus thing? Was that just for that period of time? Miracles still happen today. Miracles still happen today. The problem is, we do not give credit where credit is due. It's science. It's the doctors. It's this person or that person. You know, that's one thing we don't see. If you don't ever see any of these famous people giving credit to God. And if they do, if they see the light, and they do, they lose that status. They are written off as unstable. Crazy. Even then, when we, we talk about 
healing, laying hands upon people. We think back to the tent revivals and the televangelists on TV that's pushing people out of wheelchairs and they're jumping up and everything is, is happening in a chaotic fashion. And there's much doubt about if there's God anywhere in that. With good reason. Because so many times God has been exploited for the selfish benefit of man. We put ourselves in a situation where we're scared to step out on that limb. We let fear dictate us because we're afraid how people is going to perceive us. But you know, if the everyday folk, you know, the woman with the issue of blood, the blind man, you know, the people like that, if you and me, if we had that, that faith, if we actually believed that we could do things greater, than Jesus, then we can start building some momentum. If we've seen the individuals do it, if we gave God the glory that He deserves and the credit that He deserves instead of trying to take it for ourselves, then when we start seeing it on a bigger scale, it wouldn't be so, so shocking, so implemented with doubt. You know, we live in a world today where we don't know what to believe anymore. Because the, the news can be manipulated, social media, the internet, all that kind of thing can be manipulated. There's no integrity in reporting anymore. So we don't know what the actual truth is. And nine times out of ten, if we are seeing it or hearing it, something has been manipulated. And we are sure not going to see God in anything because they don't want us to. But Satan doesn't want us to. He does not want to have him on that kind of level. He wants us to be deceived. He wants us to be lied to. That's why it's so important for each and every individual to have the kind of faith to believe that we can do what Jesus did and greater. Jesus walked on water. How come nobody's tried that? How come nobody's tried it? It says that we can do what Jesus did in greater. 
That seems like a pretty, pretty good way to start, right? Just find a lake and walk out on it. But see, what's going to happen is, is that our minds are going to tell us this isn't going to work. That they have that doubt. And all it takes is just a little bit of doubt. You know, they talk about, the, the, the word talks about the faith of a mustard seed because it's the smallest of all the seeds. It's the, the tiniest example that, of the times that they could come up with. Mustard seed, little bitty thing. But you know, there's something that's even smaller than a mustard seed. Just a, a fraction of that mustard seed. You cut it in half, cut it in half again. And you call that fear, you call that doubt. That's a powerful thing. It takes less fear, less doubt, less anxiety, less worry, less concern than it does faith to change your course of life. And you walk out there to that water and you take that first step and you go up to your ankles and then you just give up. Because this is not logical. It's not what the world tells us is logical. And we have been conditioned for so long. And we don't even realize it. Even as little bitty kids, we watch our cartoons. And I'm just now realizing it now as a highly educated adult that the little things that they put in, the things that they teach, and we're just constantly being programmed by the world over and over again, little by little by little by little by little. And we have all of this in our heads and face it we don't start getting a real good comprehension of the word until we start getting some maturity to us still we start living some life so we start building that connection with God and by then a lot of us has already given up we have involved ourselves in the world so much that it has consumed us. Now, even, even those that consider yourselves a, a die-hard Christian, how much time do you actually give to God? Why well, go to church every Sunday? What about the rest of the week? How much time do you spend in conversation? Well, I say my prayers every night. What about the other 23 hours and 47 minutes? And are we really giving quality time? Or are we getting into the ritual of everything? Why isn't God blessing the churches? Because he doesn't want more churches of the Pharisees. 
He doesn't want more big bodies of churches that are consumed with numbers, consumed with image, consumed with keeping people happy. He wants truth tellers. He wants people that's looking at what Jesus did and letting Jesus be the example. Not the stained glass windows. Not the fancy clothes. Not the presentation. Jesus didn't need any screens. He didn't need a big band. He didn't need a bunch of music. He didn't have to put on a show. There was no lights and fog. There were no headsets. There was Him and the Word. You know, once upon a time, people liked that. There's a story in there where He fed 5,000 people plus all their wives and children. That was a pretty good group. I'd be happy to get 5,000 on a Sunday. So, do we believe? Now you're probably saying right now that I sound pretty crazy. Because I'm talking about walking on water and, and performing miracles and doing these things. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And if God says it, I'm going to believe it. Can I do these things? No. Do I hope to be able to? Of course. But I'm human. And I've been through that same worldly conditioning that everyone else has. But the difference is that I am aware of it. And we all should be. And start working towards reprogramming. Renewing our minds. As Paul tells us. Are you ready to start renewing your mind today?